Hello, Awkward family. Welcome to another week of the Awkward Podcast. This week, we have uh, one of the nicest human beings, just genuine, incredibly kind, uh, number one, to just give me time. He is a busy, busy, busy man. He is a outdoorsman. He is a cyclist. He's a bike packer. I didn't even know that what, what that was until our time together. He is a hiker. He is a business owner. He is a professor, a doctor, a photographer. He is a lot of uh, a lot of really good things. And and now I am very glad to call him a friend. He was very kind to um, allow me to come into his space at Texas Tech University and interview him and hear his story of just an amazing, an amazing journey to where he is today and all the adventures that he goes on and is a part of. And so let's get straight into that. I'm excited for you guys to hear his story. Uh, so without further ado, hey, Jared Foster, welcome. It's going to get awkward. Meow. Well, if you're ready, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Let's get to yeah. it. So, yeah. Dr. Jared Foster. That's right. I love that. The first, I think it's the first <laughs> doc. Um, where were you born? I was born in Corsicana, Texas. You Cor- know where Corsicana is. I absolutely, I know yeah. where Corsicana is. Yep. So, yep. grew up there your whole life? No, no, no. So, I was I was born in Corsicana uh, because my parents at the time were living in Hubbard, which okay. is where my yeah. dad's from. And uh, he was an ag teacher at, at Hubbard High School. So, so he was he started his ag teaching career uh, at at Hubbard. And so he, yeah. Whenever I was born, uh, yeah, it was Corsicana. So right and then down the moved road. Moved to where? Uh, from there, we moved down uh, to Burnett, okay. Texas. Yeah. Uh, Dad started working for um, the federal government at that point. He was working in ag services. Did not stay with ag teaching. He did. Long. He didn't stay with ag teaching uh, super long. Uh, my sister was born in Austin, and then after that, we moved, and I don't know what age I was, but it was before I was five, we moved to Bowie, Texas, which okay. is a little change, change yeah. of pace uh, compared to down there in that, that Blackland country. Yep. And we lived in, in Bowie until I was in the first grade, so I started school there in kindergarten. I mean, I, I can remember a lot of things about school, but That's that, right. that kind of makes sense yep. since I'm in school a lot. But... um. Yeah, dad, dad worked for um, the ASCS office, which is now FSA, yeah. and did that for a little while. And then we moved back to my my mother's home, uh, okay. which is just outside of Paradise, Texas, a little town okay. called Cottondale. And so both my parents come from agricultural backgrounds. Um, they both grew up uh, ranching, farming, and and so we moved to my my mom's uh, family's ranch and so we just and that's that's where we that's where we stuck so so from first grade on uh, right. essentially that's where you grew yeah. up so i tell people paradise texas yeah. and i like saying paradise texas because it sounds cool better than uh, cottondale or well yeah you know cut oh, i mean i'm proud of cottondale uh in a lot of ways but uh 
Paradise just uh, it, it's got a little little bit of flavor to it that people are like, there's no way there's a Paradise Texas, and in okay. fact, there's 19 Paradises across the United States, um, and I know that only because my my grandfather, uh, my 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 mother's dad, and her brother, my uncle, uh, who operate uh, did operate the the ranch um, where where they still live, uh, were on a big double page spread in a holiday magazine back in the 90s and and uh, that's the in the magazine feature was all about the paradises of the United States and wow. so we were one of the 19 but they, they opened the whole story this big spread that that for for years I just saw as a picture in their kitchen it was just like they they tore out the spread and, and put just it in them. a frame in the kitchen um, but then I, I I learned about the story and so that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and I, honestly, when I look back now, I probably think that that photograph had a lot to do with me becoming a photographer too. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Just because I was always around it, and we we valued magazines and editorials. Yeah. Uh, there at, at, at their house, an and so I just always was around visuals, and and I, I love editorial storytelling, and so um, I think you know that may have been a, one of the earliest influences on me being a, a photographer. That's pretty cool. Number one, that you can track yeah. it back. I think that might have. Well, that. I probably wouldn't have been able to say that until, you know, uh, a few months ago. We were going through my, my, my grandfather passed away um, back in, in March. And, and so the, we were going through some old things uh, around the house and, and uh, that magazine was out. And so I, I started flipping through it and, you know, I, I've always, I mean, I could tell you everything about that photograph and so could all the cousins too, that walked through the, the kitchen during family meetings and things like that. But, um, but that, that photograph, I just remember like, that's always been there. And, and I, I have some very pivotal moments that have kind of pushed me into photography later in life. Um, but, but when I look back at hmm. my youth, that, that photograph being in their kitchen, was probably a huge influence on why I like to create the photography and the, the visual stuff that I do these days. No, that's really some. I hadn't thought about that even for myself or even other people that I talk to, like like my wife. That's something I'd love to peruse because, and we'll get into all that mm -hmm. stuff. But like photography is a passion mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. yours, mm -hmm. and so like our passions. What are some early childhood things that we know that affects us? Because there's early childhood development and all the studies that's done on early childhood. Mm -hmm. So to kind of go back and see some things that's in your past that might have been springboards for your passion. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty. That's cool. Yeah, that, it, it's really neat. And of course, you just look at look at these things in your life, and you're like, oh, that that might have been why I do this. <laughs> well, and all you know, you pass by it a thousand times and never think one minute really about mm -hmm. it, but mm -hmm. then. Yeah. And then you look back, man, that was like subliminally. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. Throw totally. beacons at me the whole time. Totally. Uh, so graduate from Paradise. Yep. And then what'd you do? Yeah. Uh, and, and then uh, I went to Texas Tech University. And so. TTU. Yep. Yep. Out here in. Which is where we sit right now in your yep, office. Yep. Which exactly. Is yeah. So it's a. I've, I've had a long time connection to Texas Tech. Cool. I, so I cool. came out here as an undergrad. Um, uh, Largely influenced by uh, a cousin uh, that grew up across the pasture uh, from me. Yep. He came out here. He's the oldest cousin. I'm the second oldest cousin. And uh, he came to Tech. And, and so I I looked at some other universities as well whenever I was uh, thinking about coming to school. And um, 
you know, tech just kind of seemed to have what, what I wanted to do. And even whenever I, I came out here, I came out here with the intention of being a, a food technology major. And still to this day, I'm, I'm not real sure why uh, I, I wanted to do that. that I, I did have an interest in uh, especially cattle production and cattle production uh, resources like feed, yeah. supplements, that kind of thing, growing up. And, and so uh, I think that influenced my decision to go into animal science and food technology. But when I got here... Uh, for a visit. This is before I was even a student. Um, I'd made my mind up. I was coming to tech and I was going to be a food technology major, but my cousin uh, was an agricultural communications major. And I remember visiting him in the department uh, one time and I, I just sat down and I had a visit with some of their professors. Um, they, they were all really great, but there was one professor um, specifically, his name is Matt Baker, who's now at Texas A&M. But he, I remembered him from a scholarship interview process that I went through. And I met him with my parents. And if you'd know my parents, you'd know my, my mother will, will talk to anybody and, and, and have your life biography mm. down in about five minutes. And I, like and, her and I think that's a positive thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a compliment. Um, because I'm a, I'm a lot like her, but, but she, uh, she and my dad and, and I visited with this guy named Matt Baker, who was simply checking people in to this FFA scholarship interview. And uh, we talked to him for three to five minutes. And I went in, and of course, my parents might have kept talking to him. I don't right. know. But I went in, did the interview, and then I came back out, said, nice to meet you. Thanks for helping, and you know, said goodbye. And then months later, I, I fortunately I was I was awarded the scholarship. And months later, I see Matt Baker, who I now learned was the chair of the Agricultural Education and Communications Department here at Tech. And and I saw him. I kid you not. I passed him in the hallway as I was going to use the restroom, and he was coming out of the restroom. Um, and after I had met with some of the professors in the Ag Com Department. And he said, "Hey, Jared, how's it going?" And he remembered who I was. No you know, way. Months later, and, and there's no time he's students, you know, seniors in high school. He saw that. Well, day. sure, yeah. You yeah, know, because yeah. he's all he's doing is checking people in, and uh, that was that was a that, that that probably doesn't sound like a good reason to switch your majors, but I was like, man, these are these are golden people here, and so I I actually switched my major before I even got to school from animal science and food technology to agricultural communications. And, and I had an interest in that stuff too. Right, I, I was, yeah. I was one of those students that I just loved every subject that I was in and, you know, did relatively well at them. So switching majors wasn't really a, a big deal to me. And, and so I went into agricultural communications. So did you ever yeah. ask your mom, Hey, <laughs> if, I, I, if bla- I blame this on mama Foster. Cause she was like, <laughs> yeah. now this is going to be my boy. He's coming to tech. Yeah. You study this picture. His name's Jared. Yeah. No, I, I have never asked her if, if, if they hung out anymore because there wasn't really a, if I remember the environment, right. It just yeah. wasn't really a, that would have been my out. mom. She would have been like, but here's my picture of my boy. He's oh, yeah. be, you take care of him now. <laughs> well, I, I, you seem like a good man. And yeah, I do imagine my mother was probably like, well, you know, Jared's coming to tech and she probably found out who, who yeah. more details about him. But I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know that whenever I, I left the, but still for, I mean, it so. is pr- pretty profound, literally at Texas yeah. tech for that guy to, yeah. Yeah. And, to and say that, and, and, and it, that, that was incredible. And, and I, I was just like, you know what? I mean, I like another, this stuff another too. Imprint. These are my people. Oh, for another sure. Another imprint huge, from this guy imprint. really yeah. sees me and yeah. 
And you know, the funny thing is, I don't think, I don't know if I ever took a class from him because he was an agricultural education expert um, and, hmm. and scholar. And, yeah. and I was, I was an agricultural communications yeah. major. And so, um, but he was the chair of the department and he was such Man. a great guy. I mean, he still is a great guy. Yeah. I had a long phone conversation with him just uh, two or three months ago. Um, so cool. he, cause they're at the time they were looking for, um, somebody to, to fulfill a position down at A&M that he thought I might know somebody that might be interested in it. But yeah, yeah. Just, just a neat guy. And I love little stories like that. Absolutely. It's know. the, it's the best part of yeah. living life when you're looking for those little nuggets mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. we start as a freshman at Texas Tech University as yep. a ag comm major. Yep. Yep. And, and never, I never left. left. <laughs> and never. so yeah no I, yeah I, I finished up my degree uh in about three and a half years a little early i came in with some credit and i think i was like that that first generation of student that was oh, starting to come stuff. into college with yeah. some credit and i didn't have a ton but but i had enough to save me a semester yeah and um you know i didn't have to take summer school which i thought was always a, a fortunate thing it let, yep. let me work and, and of course i worked most most through the school years too you know doing whatever jobs it might be around and and, and then, um, right before I, I graduated with my undergrad, I took a class, um, I was starting to get, I, I was writing, I had, uh, completed an internship, a year long internship with Plains Cotton Cooperative Association, where I was mostly, a, a magazine writer okay. and a radio report, uh, you know, broadcaster. And uh, I tell you, you know, I, I don't notice, you know, you don't notice how big of an accent you have until you record yourself uh, through microphones, as you know now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and man, I, I sounded like the the biggest Texan you'd ever you'd ever hear uh, when I was giving it's out so the cotton report. But I, I I worked for Plains Cotton Cooperative Association. Super thankful for that that internship. And then at the end of it, I was I was really getting into photography. I, I had to take a photography class as an agcom major. And I'd always been visually interested. Like I, I, I drew a lot whenever I was mm. a, a kid. You know, just like right. probably a lot of boys, and, and, and especially around my school. But, um, but I was really into it. And, and uh, but never took an art class. Uh, I was always taking ag classes uh, in, in school, and I had to take a photography class. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to get into this thing. And I remember, like for for Christmas that year, you know, mom. Mom and dad are always asking, like, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm always, I, I, I never ask for anything specific. I'm usually like just socks, you know. Yeah. yeah I need socks, but, uh, but I had this class coming up. I'm like, well, you know, I, I could use a camera if we can find one within budget and stuff. And so we, we found one. It was, you know, a little film Canon Rebel camera, and, and I took the photography class. And it about halfway through the photography class, people were like, you know, you're really into this kind of stuff. Like you, you know, you you kind of see some things and you're paying attention to all the stuff that your teachers are telling you about. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, and they said, you, you might need to take the junction photography class. And it, if you were a student then, and maybe hopefully if you're a student now, you would, you would hear some sort of like ding or some reverence for the junction photography class go off. And especially then it was, it was a big deal to be in the junction photography class because the state photographer of Texas, Wyman Menzer, taught the class. Whoa. And I kind of knew who Wyman was because he, he came and spoke at an AgCom conference that we had hosted up here. And Wyman's actually a, a Texas tech graduate. Um, but, uh, there's this class that he taught every May, um, at, 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 uh, 
Texas Tech Junction campus, which is you know just a little bit north of San Antonio. Mm-hmm. It's on the Llano River. And I just knew that this class was uh, kind of an all-out photography course, uh, in, intense, field-based, um, and and uh, it was like the class if that you you took if you were sincerely interested in pursuing yeah. photography as part of your career or as your career. And so one day, I, I, uh, Wyman had a reputation of, uh, and I don't know if this was actually ever true, but he had a reputation of only answering his emails on Fridays, and so it was really hard to get in touch with him. Of course, this is still 2005, so right. it's not not like everybody was tied to their email like they are today. And this was people suggesting you should take the this class. was people, right. yeah, yeah, this was uh, you know uh, faculty members, my faculty that maybe knew of a student or two that had taken mm-hmm. this class before. And he started teaching this class down there in 2000. So it was still relatively new. And I I met Wyman. I knew he taught a class on campus because Wyman lives two hours away from here. And so he came in for one day a week and he taught one class. It was a three-hour long portfolio class uh, that was open to, you know, 10 to 12 students. And it wasn't in the ag college, so it was in a you know college that I was familiar with. But um, I found out where he taught that class. I found out when the class was. And I just, one day, I just waited outside the building for the class to end. And, and around six or so, the class ended. And he comes out. And I had met him. I had shaken his hand at this ag com conference. But that was about it. And uh, I reintroduced myself to him. And fortunately... His wife, who was who was with him that day, was his ride, and she was at a car dealership getting a new car. They they came in to trade in a car, and so uh, he had a little bit of time to to kill. And Wyman is a great guy. I mean, he's very gracious with his time, and and uh, we sat down and we made a connection because he grew up, you know, in in definitely a more traditional ranch sense, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, it just has has this interesting career that I was. You know, I was interested in. I wanted to learn more about. Right. And I asked him. I said, well, "You know, would you consider me for your your class? I've you know, I've got this one class under my belt, and I'm doing this stuff with the magazine internship, so on and so forth." And he said, "Yeah." He goes, "That that sounds good. Like I'll get you into it." And so, you know, I, I knew it was competitive to get into it, but I got into it. And uh, so that I took that class in May of 2005, which is the uh, May before I graduated later in December. Okay. And my whole plan was to go to law school. Um, at that point, I was really interested in um, copyright law, intellectual property law. I was in a band, and I was I was really into music. And and I was like, and, and it obviously 2000, 2000 to two thousand five was like the heyday of Napster and all yeah, these yeah. you know illegally illegal downloading platforms and stuff. And uh, so I, I was really in, into that that realm. And I took this class, and uh, it it was it was a completely field based program for 15 days. All we did was live Wyman Menzer's life, which is to say that we were constantly on assignment. You know, the the idea was like you were on assignment to create portfolio material um, wherever we went, and and we went all over the Texas Hill Country, all around Junction. Um, into the Trans-Pecos, into some places that like I had never thought even existed in Texas. And then we weren't even going into Big Bend at this point. And I had never, still to that point, I'd never been to Big Bend. And 
with him? I mean, y'all are going traveling with yeah, him? Yeah, traveling okay. with him during that 15 days. So that class had a reputation of, you know, you shot, it was still film, but, you know, we shot a collect, you know, a collective 30,000 images as a class uh, on film, which is to say a lot. Nowadays, wow. it wouldn't be as much uh, to say that, but, but uh, on film, it was a lot. And we probably traveled, you know, in 15 days, anywhere between 2,000, 3,000 miles to, to, to do those things. And, and we lived Wyman Menzer's photographic life. And I remember uh, on, we were shooting on a ranch in Junction called the Lano River Ranch mm-hmm. um, that uh, uh, my really good friend Mark Kirkpatrick uh, manages. And we were standing on, just on this little hill, and I don't know what we were shooting. I have no idea. And it might have been just like the leaves of a plant. But I remember being set up on a tripod and Wyman was right next to me, set up on a tripod. And here's this guy who's, you know, published umpteen books, published all over yeah. the the nation, if not the world, for his work in wildlife and, and Texacana and, and just tons of editorial work. And I was already like really interested in magazine and books and and here he is right next to me. He's doing the same thing. And in my mind, I'm like, he's doing this for a living. Now, he's getting paid by Texas Tech to teach the class, but he's like shooting a picture that will ultimately stand a chance in getting into a magazine. And here I am as a student, and it just dawned on me that I'm doing the exact same thing that he's doing right now. And I'm not saying at that point I was like, well, I'm just as good as him. I would never say that. But I was like, I, I can do that. I'm 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 going to do this, and so the 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 law school interest was still there, but I ended I decided not to take my LSAT that summer. Um, I decided not to pursue applying to law schools, and to what most parents would probably be like the worst decision ever. I was like I'm going to chase this thing that's like creative you know creativity as a profession right and. Uh, and so, anyways, uh, that's that's what I did. I, I decided not to go to to law school. I had one more semester left. I took another class with him. I took that one class that he t- he taught one day a week at Tech, um, and then and then I graduated uh, that December December two thousand five, and then immediately uh, started my master's uh, because I I. I did want to go ahead and get an advanced degree, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever purposes you get an right. advanced degree. But I also wanted a little bit more time because I kind of had this epiphany, this life-changing moment, right. the semester before I graduated, which is not uncommon. Oh, uh, absolutely. And I was just fortunate to, to you know, have good academic standing. I could apply for grad school and get an assistantship. And so, you know, School was paid for, and uh, in, 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 or my master's was mm-hmm. because I was working for the department. So, but it gave me a little more time, and 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 that next semester, my first semester of graduate school, um, Wyman asked me if I would be his TA for that class, and so for the next two years, two Mays, I was his TA. So I got to go back. I got to not only continue building portfolio material, but I also got to help him lead the class, instruct the class. And Wyman's one of these people that, you know, you're not an underling. You are there to, you know, you're part of the the team. You're full part of the team. And and then uh, right after that, so I finished up my master's in 2007. And because of my work that I'd already started doing in the magazine field, in the editorial world, uh, 
because of that relationship uh, that I started to grow with Wyman. Um, and because I was teaching with him, I was offered a, a job to be uh, what they called a visiting professor uh, in the College of Media and Communications here at, here at Tech. And I taught, basically I was an adjunct professor that taught nearly a full-time load. And, and so I was given an office and I was given three classes a semester to teach. And so I came in and, and kind of reworked the photography program a little bit. And, and there were some really great instructors before me, but I was brought in as like the photography guy uh, to teach the photo communications program. So you're how old at this point? I'm 20... 23 23 yeah yeah and 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 that's you know like what was i doing at 23 well i tell you i i I thought i'd be in law school at at 23 and 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 i didn't um i didn't think that i definitely wouldn't be teaching at a large university you know and i think at that time i felt like well i'm I'm teaching at a university i'm not qualified to teach in university i was already shooting for some magazines and stuff but I was like, I, you know, so when I got that job, um, I taught Tuesdays and Thursdays. All three of my classes were Tuesday, Thursday classes. And I, I wasn't married. Uh, I was in, I was still in the band, but, but, uh, you know, in terms of like significant obligations, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have outside of working hard, making my living. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I'd pay, pay bills and things like right. that. But I looked at that, I was like, I've got, I've got two days where I'm in the classroom and I would, I would come up to the office uh, more often, but I'm like, there are five more days in this week that I can, I can be working uh, on growing myself as a photographer, uh, as, as this person that's at 23 supposed to be teaching students that are just two years younger than me. Some, in some cases, uh, this thing that is supposed to prepare them for a career that I'm setting out to do. And so, uh, anyways, that's, that's how that all got started. And so I just, I hit the ground as hard as I could. Mm. And I was just always in, uh, I just took every opportunity I could to, to shoot for different magazines, to, to, to build relationships in, in, in that, that editorial arena. And, and then, so uh, like, what did it happen yeah. that, what did that look like when you started working for magazines? Did you yeah. just apply for, they needed that or no. Uh, so that's a realm I, I, you don't, know, I don't know much about. I, I was heavily influenced by, by Wyman and how he operated. And he was a, he's a freelancer. He's a full-time freelancer. And so, um, I, I wasn't looking for a full-time position at any one magazine because around that time they weren't, they weren't existent. You know, there, there were two magazines in, in the state that I was doing, I was starting to do some work for Texas highways and Texas parks and wildlife magazine. And those are, you know, outside of Texas monthly, those are kind of the yeah. two pinnacle, magazine in the state and I wanted to work for them and I just thought man if I could just get into one of those you know and but I, I think at the time um the Texas Highways magazine ha- had a had an editor of a photo editor but I don't know if they had a full-time photographer the department of transportation had full-time photographers but okay. not necessarily just for the magazine and Texas Parks and Wildlife had a photo editor and and they had a chief photographer. His name was Earl Nottingham. And and Earl and Wyman are, are, are good friends. And Earl really kind of set the the visual tableau for for Parks and Wildlife for years and years. Um, but no, I, I 
I would just reach out to these magazines and, and, you know, having, having valuable connections helps. And so my, my, my connection to Wyman, my work with him, uh, helped pave the way for Open a lot of that. Doors, and yeah, not yeah. because he was like, Hey, you need to hire right. Jared. He, he would, there were a couple times where, um, my first, assignments, if you will, for either one of those magazines were things that he couldn't go do. And just, it's natural for if an editor knows that somebody can't do it, well, could you suggest somebody, especially if they don't have another connection or another uh, point of contact right. in the area? He's like, well, you know, you ought to contact Jared. And so um, that's how I started working with with both of those magazines. After uh, I, sh- I, 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 my first photo published in a magazine like that. Like I had a couple photos in a student magazine and my, my internship magazine. Um, but the first one I had published in, in one of those that I really wanted to work for was a picture of Wyman scratching the stomach of a Mexican ground squirrel that we had been photographing for a week out on the ranch that he grew up on. So I, I would go out to Benjamin and hang out with Wyman and his wife for days, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I would just help them do whatever. And, 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 uh, I would just kind of run around with Wyman as he would photograph things. And, and, uh, like I said, Wyman never treated you as an underling. He always, you know, was like, well, br- you know, you bring your camera too. We're gonna be-. And, and we weren't doing shoots where like there was 20 people on set or anything, the way he shot and did right. and what he shot. You only really needed to do it solo for the most part. And so I was just another photographer along. And, and I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how valuable that, that, those years and those experiences were for me. But one week we photographed this one Mexican ground squirrel for, I mean, it was like five to seven days. I can't remember how long it was, but I mean, we, we were intensely focused on this one Hmm. squirrel that he had found. And I learned a lot of good lessons uh, in that, in that time with Wyman. One of them is like how insanely committed Hmm. people that, reach a particular level of success in their career. And I don't mean financial success, but like real laudable success in their career, how how driven they are. And, and there's a lot of stories I could share about that, but that, but that one Mexican ground squirrel, I mean, it's just a Mexican ground squirrel. Right. But we worked that thing till we were done making photographs. I mean, in fact, we worked that, that squirrel until it disappeared. And we, you know, a snake probably got it or a, you know, a, a hawk or something yeah. probably picked it up. But um, anyways, Wyman, one day he, we were getting out there and the, and the squirrel's getting used to us. We named it Earl. And, uh, and one of the days towards the end of when we were photographing, he goes, I bet I can, I bet I can get it to where I can, I can touch it. And, and that squirrel got so used to us that Wyman would reach out real slowly. And I've got a picture of Wyman. Uh, the squirrel was facing me, standing up. Hmm. There's a tractor in the background, and in between the squirrel and the tractor, there's Wyman laying down on the ground, and he is reaching around and with his his index finger, scr- you know, scrubbing or petting the stomach of that ground squirrel, and that's a pretty unique thing. Yeah, to, 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 and, and and so, you know, he was like, "Get a picture of this," you know, and he, I bet I can make this happen, and he did it. And Wyman's got this animal, wildlife animal whisperer thing going on, anyways. Uh, and he said, "He says we need to send this into Texas Highways, you know, just send it into the editors." And 
And so he sent it in, and then they wanted to run it in their letters section of the yeah. magazine whenever you had those kinds of things. And so that was the first time I uh, ever was published in one of those magazines. But, I mean, that picture of Wyman and Earl the Squirrel uh, helped start, you know, a, a you know, a little career for me uh, as a photographer that has always complimented my my work at Tech, too. So, Well, so... That's a long story about no, Earl the Squirrel. That, no, that's really good. <laughs> well, it also just shows you the passion on photography and how that was all kind of birthed. Yeah, yeah. So if we go back to you get your master's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. graduate with your master's. What was your yeah. master's called? My master's was in agricultural communications as well. Okay. Yeah, so I went right into the... Ma- and it was a... It was a fairly new master's program. I, I was, you know, the second or the third student to okay. say they got their master's in, in agricultural communication. At Tech? At Tech, yeah. yeah. And then? Well, and then, and then I, I started that uh, role as a, uh, professor. As a visiting professor, visiting if you will, um, at, at Tech teaching photography. Um, and then two years into that, I uh, started my Ph.D. I, okay. had, a, I had a really really great, you know, formative, I, I call him a, a great friend of mine now, but he, he was my employer at the time, Dr. Todd Chambers. And he, uh, he, he came by my office. He, he, he officed right across the, the hall from me and he would throw trash in my office and all sorts of things. He was just a great guy and he's always yeah. bugging you and stuff, but in a, in a really good heartfelt way. And, uh, he came into my office one day and he said, Hey, you need to think about your PhD. And I like school. I mean, I, I, I haven't done bad in school. Right. And, and I thought, well, you know that I like being in higher ed. Yeah. Maybe that's the option that I have. And, uh, so in 2009, uh, I, I started my PhD right after I got married, uh, pretty much right after I got married. And, and so, uh, yeah, did, did the PhD thing for, um, for three years, uh, the, the program was three years long. I took an extra year to finish up my, my dissertation. Okay. Um, and there's, there's really good reasons for that. And, uh, and yeah. And then graduated with, uh, with my PhD in 2013, I suppose. Yeah. So what was that PhD in? Like, do you have that a- PhD is, is technically in mass communications. Yeah. Okay. Our, 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 we're, our college was then was called mass communications. We're now called media and communication, but yeah. So, PhD so there's a home. big there's a big bump in the middle of that whole journey as you got yeah. married. I got married, yeah, yeah. So met your wife. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did meet her. I met her when I was an undergrad, actually, and, and but we didn't date. We uh, we were neighbors, um, and uh, like I like telling people that I'm from Paradise, Texas, because there's a little bit of flavor to it. Yeah, I like telling people how I met my wife, and it I changed her tire, uh, which a long time ago probably didn't wouldn't have sounded like much, but um, that. When I tell people that I, I changed her tire because she had a flat tire, people are like, oh, that's so romantic. And I'm like, well, I walked out my door uh, one day because we lived in adjoining duplexes. And I just noticed I was on my way to, to school and I always showed up early to socialize with people. And I noticed that the car next next to park in the next parking lot had a flat. And so I was like, I'll just walk over there and knock on their door and let them know they have a flat in case they were in a hurry or something. Right. And... Knocked on the door, and her roommate came to uh, the door, and I, I introduced myself because we hadn't met yet, and and I told him, well, you know, your car has a flat. She goes, oh, that's my roommate. She's getting ready, she, and and she was they were both nursing students, and so she's getting ready to go to nursing school, 
and and I think she was in the shower or something like that. And and uh, I said, well, I'll, I mean, I live next to you. Uh, you know, I'm not going to steal the car or anything. Like, I'll change the tire though if you want me to. And so, uh, so I changed her tire, and I had it changed before I had even met her. And so then we met. So we just, you know, we started a friendship and, and stuff. And uh, but we did we didn't date until we were actually both out of out of college and, and into our careers. But really, yeah. So yeah. out of the we just kept, we we just kept in touch and yeah. we were really good friends. And but I was in a band, so I was never around. And whenever I wasn't on the road with the band, I was always photographing something. And I was I was involved so you, in leadership. Right, okay, stuff, so let's so. talk about the band real quick. So we're, yeah, we're on the road. So what? Yeah, what's that all about? Yeah, well, I, I was I was. You're a man of many. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a guitar player, and and uh, I whenever whenever I came to college, I had already met um, uh, a couple of guys from a little town called Rotan, Texas. Oh yeah. And I tell people all the time that Rotan is the center of the universe. Um, but I met, met a couple guys from Rotan. One of them's, uh, all of them are really good friends of mine. One of them, uh, is, is here at tech. He's, um, he's over our, um, development here at the university. And anyways, I met these guys and they were in, in, in basically what equated to a high school band, uh, that had just came to college and they were looking for a new guitar player. And so I, I went to a party that they were playing one time and I got up on stage and I played a little bit with them and. And, um, I'm not classically trained. I'm, I, I definitely don't want to make myself sound like a better guitar player than I am, but, but, uh, a but little bit good enough to play in a band. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good enough to, to, to fake <laughs> people out. And, and so I got, a uh, got up on stage that time and then, you know, about, I don't know, two, three months later, they're playing another show and, 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 uh, probably in their hometown, I thought, if I remember everything correctly. And they asked me if I wanted to play and then they asked me if I wanted to be in the band. And so I, I, you know, I, it it was a really cool experience, and and I played with them till till two thousand and ten, uh, yeah. So we we recorded when I was with them, we recorded three albums. One of them was a live album uh, that did did fairly well, and you know, a okay. Lot so of, what's the what's the yeah. name of the band? The band's name was the Hog Mollies. Yeah, the Hog, Mo- the so Hog what kind Mollies. Of music? It was you you would call it Texas country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always told people it was country rock because I didn't really like the whole idea like we're lumped in with all the Texas country acts, but but um. We we were a Texas country band, yeah. So I played. I'm, I'm listening electric to hog guitar. Going home yeah, do it, yeah. Listen to the live at the Blue Light album. That's kind of what right. we sounded like. Yeah. It, well, it's not kind of what we sounded. It is exactly it's exactly what, we sounded what like. you sounded like. Um, and had, anybody had together still? Like, do y'all still ever play? No, none of us get together and play together anymore. But but Rody the singer um, still keeps a version of the band together for you know different things. And he he still plays really um, every now and then. Uh, with with a group of guys that you know after after some of us started to to move out of the band move away you know they obviously find people to to replace us yeah. and um I was the second person to leave the original group um and then you know they replaced uh the the original bass player they replaced me and then eventually the drummer left and you know we just it, it wasn't because of anything other than the fact that like yeah. we had we were all on different timelines. Uh, when we reached a particular point being in music, I always tell people there's like three tiers to, to being in a band. There's, there's the one where you're just happy to play wherever you're invited to play. And, uh, you would play for peanuts literally. Right. And, um, and that, and that was it. And, and, and then the next tier is like, you know what? We're all committed to this enough that 
we want to start recording. We're writing original songs. We're 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 doing the band thing. Yeah, ready to hit the road, that kind of thing. We bought a van, you know, and 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 a trailer, uh, and so we're just going. And and I I was I always had the photography things starting to 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 foment, and so it started to. It, it, I was chasing two different things that were kind of in that creative sphere. Yeah, and but we. We made it to the second tier, and the second tier is a big tier. Like it's 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 a yeah. you know you start looking at things like management, and who are we opening up for, and how much are we really charging for this? You know, then there's there's some money to be made, there's some money to reinvest in the band, all that kind of stuff. And then the third tier is whenever you're like, I can make a living at this. Not only can I make a living at this, these other guys in the band are mm. making a living, at it. and so are the people that are connected to us. Yeah, you know, because it a, a band is, it's a full-on community you know its own economy and and of course that's not saying anything about the audience right Right. audience sizes and stuff like that but we i I think you know if if looking back and being pretty honest like we we were a high level second tier band like we had you know all the big names in the in the arena right now those were the bands that were right behind us so some of them would be opening up for us um as as we kind of started to, to started to dissipate in 2010 more or less and um yeah so we we made it up to that point and and I I'm really proud of that um not because I was maybe the hardest working person in the band cuz I certainly wasn't you know Rody and our and our drummer definitely were but um man we 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 did it like we made a real go at it and if we'd all been on a little bit different timeline, yeah, I'd still be doing that. Who knows? You know, I, I, Isn't that I don't crazy think, think it would have necessarily right. changed a ton, but, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that was my that's my band history, dude. Yeah. You can't leave that so, out. That's yeah, really that's yeah, good. Yeah. So I was always traveling with the band. I was always traveling with photography, growing my photography, you know, craft, and I was just I was yeah. just so into. Um, that my my now wife and I, you know, we were just good friends, and honestly, like we'd just see each other in passing sometimes. There were a mm. couple moments where we'd hang out um, there at the duplexes, but but then you know she 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 graduated, uh, took a nursing job in Dallas. Um, we still kept in touch. If there was a show in Dallas, I'd just give her a call. Like, hey, we're playing in in, in Dallas and uh, or in the area, and sometimes she'd come out, sometimes she wouldn't, and. Um, and then she started travel nursing and, uh, her, her first travel nursing gig was in San Diego. And so she moves out to San Diego, but we still stay in touch. We didn't talk all the time, but we still stayed in touch. And, uh, this is her, this, these are her words. So I'm not making this up, but, uh, one day she was sailing with a group of people in the Pacific. And, and that sounds Way too bougie, but that's what people do when you're all in right. the ocean. You go sailing. That's the way and all great you, stories start. Yeah, right? yeah. You don't do that in Lubbock, Texas. You know, <laughs> sailing in the Pacific. That's right. So she's out sailing, and her phone, which was this, you remember Blackberries? Oh yeah. Okay, so she had this Blackberry. That was she cherished this Blackberry because my wife my, is as mundane as my story can be. My wife's story is so incredible, and so like I can see her like really cherishing this this Blackberry, um, and. She loses it off in the ocean. And and I'm not making this up. These are her words. She she said the only number she was concerned and on that phone with was mine. And we probably hadn't talked in a couple months or whatever. Whoa. But but so she 
This is when all the ba- all the bands in the world were using MySpace. She contacts the band through MySpace. And I don't know, we had probably abandoned it, but we still had it. And Rody, our singer, uh, was checking the messages one day, sees this one from a from this girl out in San Diego that knows Jared and would like his number. And that seems kind of kind of oh, yeah. creepy, you know. The groupies are reaching out. Now. Yeah, oh, yeah, great, 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 and, great. And so, but he he tells me, hey, there's this you know girl that wants to connect with you, and tells me the name. I'm like, oh yeah, I know, man. She's a really good friend. Anyways, so we reconnect. She is moving. She is considering moving back to Texas um, to take a nursing, a travel nursing gig uh, back in Texas. And uh, and so, anyways, we we reconnect. Um, and we we went and had a had a date with uh, her cousins, like uh, one of her cousins and and uh, his his fiance or girlfriend at the time that that they ended up marrying, and. Uh, she basically told me she was like, I, I don't, I'm not going to come back to Texas unless there's a relationship between us. You know, like I was like, wow, okay. And and but we had known each other for so long. Right, I mean, we yeah, were such good friends. Sure. And, and and you know, I, we, yeah, I wanted to pursue that. And so so, anyways, we 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 uh, started dating. She moves back to it, but she doesn't move back to Lubbock, and I'm not leaving Lubbock because I'm I've got my job here. Right. Um, and and. Uh, so she she moves to Austin, and I'm still in the band, still traveling, and we just would meet wherever we could, whenever we could, uh, because it was a, a serious but long distance relationship. Yeah. And uh, if we were playing in Austin, then she would come out, and and she would come up to because she had a little bit more flexibility in her time because nurses work, you know, oh, right, three right. days a week. Yeah. Uh, she would she would book a flight or drive up to to Lubbock and and hang out with us over the weekend and stuff. So, anyways, that's that's how we we um, had a you know we dated for you know a, a, a year like that. And then she took a travel nursing job here in Lubbock. Nobody takes travel nursing jobs to Lubbock, Texas. Uh, and she said she's a, she said there was no way I was coming back to Lubbock after I graduated. She was that. Like yeah. Lubbock in my rear view mirror right. is happiness kind of kind of person. And uh she came back to Lubbock and and of course we were already talking about like what's this look like long term. And so uh a little bit after that I, I proposed um and then yeah, we got we got married a few months later and yeah, on the hottest day of two thousand and and uh and non and yeah that's and so we've been together ever since yeah man yeah yeah that is uh so, anyway yeah i don't know where we were well it was just well we it was just like that, we talked yeah. about everything and then all of a sudden and yeah. then i'm married and we kind of skipped over i was like you can't yeah. skip over the well neither one of us probably had in mind that we were going to get married uh that early and and mm-hmm. it and and honestly it wasn't that early compared to when people do get married right you know, a lot of people get i say a lot of people Quite a few people, and especially people in our network, were getting married right out of college. Right, you found your person, and yeah, moving into the next phase. E- exactly, of life. yeah, and and so, but neither one of us were on that wavelength. Yeah, and and she she wanted to pursue her career the way she pursued it, and I, you know, I was pursuing whatever it was I was trying to build. Yeah, um, and uh, we're we're both very opportunity driven people, and so um, we were taking opportunities. Cause we knew that, that that's what was kind of feeding us at the, at the time. And, yeah. and, uh, but we started dating and, and, you know, things, it was just right. 
you know, to, to, to be together. And, um, yeah. So, and, and we got married, I think I was married in 2009. So I was, I was, um, 20, 26. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we weren't thinking about it, but I know that's a little bit later than some people get married, probably not compared to today's standards, but right at that time. Yeah. So you finish your doctorate program and do you, do you stay Texas tech or y'all just, yeah. Yeah. I did. Y'all are yeah. just going to so, stay here. I mean, I have, I have a, you know, from a professional career perspective, I have a relatively like undramatic geographical history. Right. Um, I, uh, started my PhD a couple months after we got married and, and, uh, I still taught, um, but I was reduced to a one class a semester. I was a full-time student and I was paid at a different, you know, I was, it was like I had a job for the university, but, um, not as a full-time instructor, mm. but I, I pursued that. And for three years, uh, just did full-time PhD work. I, I, I left the band a year into that. Um, because there were other opportunities that popped up. One is that I was still very actively growing my photography business mm. during that time. And, and Amanda and I were really fortunate. You know, I think a lot of graduate students, they, they've got to really kind of suffer through it. And when they talk about the suffer of grad school, I think a lot of it is yeah. financial. And we weren't like rolling in the dough by any means, but she was, she was working as a nurse and I was, while I, when I wasn't studying, uh, taking class or teaching this one class, I was out in the field all the time. Mm. And so we, we were pushing our careers forward. And, and, and so, um, about a year into my PhD, I had this blog when blogs were a thing. Yeah. I had this photographic blog where I was dishing out, you know, some anecdotal, but educational advice and, and, and about photography and working as a photographer in the field and um a publisher reached out to me and asked me if i'd be interested in writing a book and i always had wanted to write a book Mm. and it didn't i mean i don't know what i was going to write this book on but i always wanted to write a book and and um they asked me they they told me they have interest in in me writing a book about a particular thing and i uh, about lighting i don't want to get too too technical here but about photographic lighting and it was based on this series I was writing my blog. And I said, you know, that, that sounds great, but there was a lot of writing, or lighting books coming out. I said, I want to write a book on using the camera as a storyteller. And so that led to me signing a contract, and, and I wrote my first book um, in 2011. It published in later in, in kind of fall 2011. And, and so, yeah, and, and so... I don't have as a as a PhD, you know, you hear PhD and you think, oh, white tower academic scholar, researcher, yeah. philosopher, all these kinds of things. I am trained in that and I very much value all that. But I chose during my PhD program to not chase down a heavy research agenda mm-hmm. because I was I had started a career as an author <laughs> at that point. And, and so I, I just pursued, uh, writing. I, I still did research to complement what I needed to do for my job, but, um, I just started, you know, write, writing books on, on photography. And so I, I wrote, I don't know, seven, six or seven books, you know, in, in a, you know, 
eight year period or so. Whoa. Um, that is, they're all focused on photography and I, I've got a coffee table book out, but that came a lot later. And, um, so anyways, that's, yeah, that's what I did during that time. So, you know, here I am newly married, you know, we're right. All, everything's hunky dory, you know, and, and, and it's great. We're both pursuing our passions and stuff. And I start writing a book and, and along that time, we introduced kids to the mix. Yeah. And so we, you know, we started our family in, in 2011 as well. And so, um, yeah, so a lot of, a lot happened in that three to four year period. That, that was a fast yeah, time period. Yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. I mean, it was incredible. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, the, the, the stress you're able to, to tolerate when you've got, you know, the, the right partner right. there next to you is, is yep. a big piece, big, big thing. And, uh, and so that, uh, that period of time, I mean, it flew by for sure. Um, and I, and I, I joke and I feel bad about this joke, but I joke that like, I don't remember much of my oldest daughter's first year because I was always studying. Mm-hmm. Like there's pictures of me holding her, it, you know, sitting in a chair and I've got like 20 research articles in my lap and I'm just studying for my qualifying exams. And, and I, and I, I couldn't tell you that ever happened because I was just so focused, but, but you know, you're trying to balance all That's these right. things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, you become accommodated to balancing all these things, and that can continue on in life. Yep. And and in a even more stressful way. But but uh, but yeah, that was that was a, a neat period for sure. And you know, like I said, mm-hmm. but it, it couldn't it couldn't have happened the way it did if if like Amanda wasn't there. Right. So just being an anchor and yeah. all that. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah. are. So you've been at tech ever since then. I've been, yeah, I've been at tech since 2002. Yeah. And, and Man. I've, I was hired as the first professor of practice in the college of media and communications. And there were, there were three of us hired at the same time. I was just the one that technically got the offer the first, but, but, um, I, so I'm, I'm now I'm an associate professor of practice, which the whole professor of practice thing means that instead of, somebody that's focused on doing research in addition to teaching. Hmm. I am focused on my, what's called currency in the industry um, and bringing that into the classroom. So as a working photographer, I could be on a shoot tomorrow and I could bring that experience anecdotally Hmm. and tangibly into the classroom the next gotcha. day. Gotcha. That is your research in a way. In, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some, in some universities actually qualify that as like, "Quote unquote research," but I'm not doing academic research. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm a I'm a working photographer. You know that that uh, that has uh, also teaches and and has a role at, at the university and um, and I very much value that because at that point I became what hopefully I'm stepping into some shoes that allows me to become what Wyman was to me. Oh yeah, big time. And so the, the, my, my big thing is, is, is certainly, you know, how do I bring the industry into the classroom? How does my experience remain relevant to, to the, to the student? Uh, while it also, you know, creates attention for the university. And so there's, you know, metrics that you're evaluated on, but, but, uh, my biggest thing is like, how do I make sure that students are offered an opportunity to have an experience like, I did. And like my cohort of students that I was, my colleagues were offered. Yeah. 
And so that's, yeah, that's what I, I do now at, at tech. And I've done a couple, you know, administrative things in the, in the, over the past several years as a full-time faculty member. But, but, uh, you know, my, my, the thing I, the thing I, you know, go to sleep thinking about and the thing I wake up thinking about, or one of the big things I, I wake up thinking about in, in life is how, how can I create more and more, uh, you know, transformational experiences that's what the university likes to call them but how do i create these experiences that that uh you know create an environment for a student to have that thing that i had right uh which and more I mean, and, and hopefully of, and, more yeah, yeah. You want more you know you, you always want to build upon you know uh successes if you will but yeah that's so that's that's that yeah so what is your photography encompass because yeah. you're not taking pictures of families because it's the fall and let's no. get your families. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I, 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 I know. Modeled. I mean, that's no disrespect to that. No, no, I no, just no, know no. that that's totally. not. Yeah, those are the photographers yeah. that make money. Actually, yeah. uh, no, I. Uh, that was a joke, but but yeah, right. it's still. Right. Um, I, I I modeled my photography after Wyman's. I mean, okay. I, I I don't I didn't want to necessarily just do what I thought he was doing at the time, which was a lot of landscapes. Okay. Um, because it's, I mean, photography is a competitive field, anyways. Um, landscape photography is like that's almost a non-existent career. It, it, mm. it is something that you incorporate into your work, but to chase it is, I mean, there it's very, very uh, so competitive. It's crazy. Mm. But I, I knew I always wanted to help tell stories, um, and uh, I didn't want to be a photographer for photography's sake. I wanted to be a photographer because it was the way I knew how to best complement and contribute to good storytelling. But good storytelling to me, my interest is focused on conservation, the natural, the natural world, Mm. um, and, and the intersection that we create as humans into it. So a lot of my work has, has been done for, for, for travel purposes. You know, my work for Texas highways has, has been that way. Some of the Texas parks and wildlife stuff, I've done a lot of conservation work for people like Texas Highway, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, and, and other organizations. Um, uh, I, I was I was a longtime regular photographer for the Nature Conservancy, um, which they they are. I still think today they're the world's largest conservation organization by both financial resources and land um, globally. And they had they have a really strong presence in Texas. You would never know it, no, because they're often a, a very misunderstood organization. But um, they, I, I was one of the guys that for a while they, you know, if they, if they had a big campaign they were working on, or if they acquired a new property, they would send me for days at a time to to photograph a bank of stuff for them. And so I would do that, and then and then over the past five or six years, I've, I've moved into, uh, a little bit more travel oriented work, but more adventure travel. Uh, so, and, and a lot of that's by bike, uh, or two wheels, I should say, I've done a lot of bike packing, um, mm. and, you know, kind of cycling oriented or cycling touring type of stories. And then I've also started to, to work in the adventure motorcycle realm a little bit. And those are, those are popular arenas for a lot of people. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying like I've, I got in there and I took over that that field, but but uh, I, I definitely see uh, a real value in making those things seem very accessible because they are right. to the normal day person. I, I've got a, a really close colleague whose name is Brandon Weaver, 
and he and I, he's a writer and I'm a photographer and we pair up often, uh, for, for a lot of the stuff that we have published over the past, well, since 2018 or so. And, and, um, he loves this idea of accessible adventure Hmm. because still even now, but even at, at that time, for sure, like a lot of these things that seemed like extreme sports, type two fun, right. I mean, just hiking in some cases. Yeah. They just seemed way too extreme for people. And so we have this kind of, um, you know, mission, if you will, to make sure that people know that like, no, you can do this too. You know, this is not just meant for uh, affluent white men. Right. This is for everybody. And, and we're slowly, you know, making a chip in that, in that in that world, as, as are a lot of people that are coming around to that yep. that notion too. So well, yeah. it kind of goes back to we talked earlier about just the day tripper and what Chet has done and yeah. making Texas accessible. And hey, you don't yeah. have to go to Italy to experience or whatever. Yeah. Like it's right here, and it's the same. Yeah, I, I've seen, and, and this is no knock on on study abroad. Uh, right. I mean, obviously, I work in a university setting, so I have a lot of stories and, and, and ways of reference from from higher education. But um, I'm very I'm very fortunate to get to teach a study abroad every year with with my my chairperson oh, yeah, Rob yeah. Peasley, and and I've I so value those things because I I didn't get to do a study abroad whenever I was an undergrad, as most undergrads don't get to right, do. It's right. financially yeah out of reach for a lot of people, and even if it wasn't. You think it is, and so you don't ever. Yeah, that's right. Look at it. I looked at it a little bit, but I knew that like my I, I was on scholarship. Very fortunate that most of my school was paid for, uh, but I wasn't on that much scholarship. Right, and so uh, I couldn't do that. Now I did go on a week long study abroad to Mexico during my master's, and there is something very special that happens, particularly if you come from a background where you didn't, as a kid, travel abroad mm-hmm. or even have the opportunity that's to do right. so. Um, when you cross an international border, and it doesn't matter if you're going from here to England, where you speak the same language yeah. and lots of the same, and, and honestly, right. yeah, you you see a lot of the same stuff. Um, it doesn't matter if you're going from there, or from here to there, or from here to to Mexico. There's something that happens mm-hmm. inside you, particularly if you're willing to let it happen. And and I, I went on that study abroad into Mexico. We did a lot of really interesting things, uh, but I'm really glad that during that week, my first international experience was in Mexico. And it wasn't the Cancun, Mexico. Right. It wasn't yeah. uh, the Acuna, Mexico. It was a focused program on studying agriculture in our neighboring country where we got to see the, the, the high-end production facilities all the way down to, like, the poorest of the poor people out there, uh, you know, trying to scrape by as they, you know, help produce whatever crop yeah. or, or whatever it might be. And and that was an incredibly eye-opening Man, experience. good. And that helped me that, – that, that, I think those things always help boost your confidence in, in traveling and your and, – but it certainly made me a lot more aware of my presence in the world. And, and – uh, I had an opportunity to go to work in Mexico again, work in Mexico with Wyman uh, at a place called um, Maderas del Carmen, which is a huge conservation uh, uh, track of lands, half a million acres, right across the border from Big Bend. Uh, so if you've ever been down to Big oh, Bend yeah. National Park, 
at Boquillas Canyon, yeah. across the river, there's that's that striated yep. wall and stuff. That's part of a, oh, a mountain wow. range called El Jardin, and it's, yeah. it's the Maderas del Carmen's. The half a million acres right there is owned by a company named Simex, which is a huge cement manufacturing com- country in the or company in the world. And we we were brought over there for I think seven or eight or nine days to to do still photography work and video work and and uh, he needed somebody to do video, so I came over there and, and did that. Um, and it just it, like my first study abroad experience led to that. And then whenever I had the opportunity to teach my first study abroad, it was in Spain. And it was just like, yeah, I'll do that. Because yeah, I was ready to, to, to introduce, help introduce students hmm. to that same experience, like crossing a border. You, and it, does, it, it really doesn't matter you know, who you are. When you go into an international place, someplace that is technically foreign to you hmm. um, with the right intention, something happens. Something washes over you. And so I've been fortunate to do those things uh, for a while. And that's a long way of getting to talking about experiences in general. Yeah, I still think I've seen more transformative experiences in students happen domestically than, than abroad. Right. Now, I've seen some incredible things right. happen to, to students. And, but for those that can't afford to be in study abroad, stuff that happens here, if they take the opportunity to, to, to jump on these things here, it's it's pretty incredible. Hmm. So, I get. I'm going to jump real quick to like the program of what you, where you guys go pack in, bike pack yeah. in seven yeah. days. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that yeah. start? And, and describe it a yeah. little bit, yeah. just so everybody so, can kind of hear. Yeah. So I I, I get I get to co teach a class called Adventure Media, and um, it's it's a class that um, I I I. I I started it in 2014 or something, and it, and it was right after I went to a, a film screening uh, for a film called 100 Head, Heart, and Feet. And it was about an, the first film I'd ever seen about ultra running. So oh, yeah. the gist of the piece is here's this normal everyday guy who enjoys running and is committed to a 100-mile race. I grew up as a runner. I had an offer to go run at Tarleton as a cross country racer, and and I, I did I didn't take it. it. So I'm I'm already kind of interested already because I'm I'm an endurance person, and I'm watching this film, and I'm sitting there going like, I've run a lot of miles in my life. There's no way I would want to run a 100 mile race, but I was intrigued by the character and the, of course the film yeah. and stuff. And it was at our, our local film festival, and I I got to meet the uh, well, I got to I got to meet the the main talent, um, the guy the the story centered around, and uh, the the director of the film, and we we then held a workshop. It was we brought him back, and it was like we we held a trail running and documentary filmmaking workshop together. Like one day it was this, another day it was this. And uh, because it just kind of, I don't know, seemed to gel. Like we, we just yeah. had these neat ideas and stuff. And then the following semester, I remember prior to that, like saying, hey, we, we should do a class on this. Like, well, let's just call it Adventure Media. I've always had supportive uh, administration here. And they said, sounds good. You know, it's great special topics. I think people will be interested. And I think students will be interested. And, and they were. But it was like this traditional 15-week 
long form semester class. Yeah. You know, come to come do sit in a class for uh, you know, an hour and a half at a time, twice yep. a week, whatever that might be. And it went fine. It was great. And it was a great pilot for that kind of thing. A few years later, I'm talking with the person I co-teach it now, Justin Keene. And I'm like, let's, well, he, he was talking about adventure media. I said, you know, we, we could do this around bike packing. He's a cyclist, uh, got a history in cycling. I'm, I'm a cyclist. I, I love mountain biking. I love gravel riding. I love bike packing. And uh, bike packing is where you basically, it's like backpacking, but on a mountain bike or yeah. on a bicycle. Uh, it's different from touring because it's off, typically off-road. And and so we create this class that meets on a certain number of Saturdays okay. before spring break and then a certain number of Saturdays after spring break. And the spring break period is where we focus our this major trip, this expedition that the students go on, where they tackle a pretty significant route by bikepacking it, but also creating uh, uh, any number of nonfiction storytelling components. Usually it's it's a docu-series about their experience, or it's, uh, and that's combined with, you know, some photography work for an organization that is tied to where we're, where we are yeah. or supporting the, the class. Um, and so that, that's, yeah, that's, that's what we do at that class. And so the, the whole amount of time prior to spring break, it's training. Like we don't meet in a classroom at all. We, we meet on bikes and, and we go out and we, you know, the first, first class they do, you know, everybody's got to ride 25 miles and, uh, that, you know, to cyclists, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. I mean, it, that sounds like a good workout, but it doesn't sound like anything out of, out of the norm. But for, for people that had, and these by and large students, for people that have not ridden right. a bike, um, that's a long ways. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking like first day, some, some people are just like, I, they're seven miles into it. They're like, I don't know how I'm going to finish this thing. And it's not like we're going out on road rides. We're mountain biking and stuff. Yeah. So they're having to, you know, psychologically and physically like really pull themselves together for this, this experience. Um, and so we, we train, we train them up to the point where we know we're comfortable with their abilities going into this spring break, yeah. five, six day long backcountry expedition Man, where we so are self-sufficient on, yeah. you know, and we're having to filter water somewhere, wherever that might be. And so, First first uh, year we went to to Big Bend Ranch State Park, kind of a pinnacle or iconic uh, yep. arena for that kind of stuff. And then we went to Ruidoso, New Mexico, where we did a 100 mile loop out there. Came back the next year to Big Bend. Uh, then pandemic happened, uh, so that that year uh, is it got canceled. We 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 were 12 hours away from leaving for our trip, our spring break trip, whenever. Yeah, you know, right. everybody remember, shut yeah. down, and and so that was a little bit of a deflating moment. Uh, you know, we and and then we've we we did we did something in the Great Plains uh, or here in the Panhandle of uh, Texas the the following year, and then we've we've done Ruidosa once more. We did that last year, and then this year we did 150 to 170 miles of the Monumental Loop in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which has a very large reputation of being one of the, the toughest routes in, in the nation. And, and the students just knocked it out of the park this year. It is incredible. And, and the whole time, you know, we're creating material, like not only do they have to survive, 
uh, but they they've got to be able to make things along the way, and That's it just introduces so... them to doing hard things. Yeah, but like really ratcheting up the the intensity. Yeah. yeah, but also it could be one of those things where somebody's exposed to that, and they're like, "This is what I want to do," because yeah, there's a for sure there's a niche out there for that. Yes. Oh yeah, to- totally there, and, and, and very much so there is, and uh, you know I could I could rattle off the names of of many students who um, have either changed their career pursuit or have added things to their career pursuits um, because of that class. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be a piece of that that's life-changing. I hope so. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's life-changing for us. You know, the instructors, we do it every year. And, and you know, fortunately, I get to do that kind of work as part of my, as a significant part of my living. Yeah. Every time it's, you know, you want more. Something you want, changes. You know, it, it's, it's, I don't have an addictive personality, but man, you just want more of that. Yeah. You want more of that time outside. You want more of that time doing hard things. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up doing hard things, you yeah. know, growing up on the ranch. and uh, But, you know, every hard thing that you do makes the next hard thing more doable. Yeah. It makes your ability to face hard things in, in life, you know, more doable, more faceable. I don't know. That's not even a word, but that's that's a, an important component to this class. And I, I tell people all the time, as so does my colleague, like, you know, we want people to get better as videographers and, and photographers on these trips. We want them to get better as storytellers. But that's kind of like built into their curriculum as a mm. college student, as their majors. But but this thing that we, we really want to see out of, out of these programs is like somebody, how, how do we help people become more resilient? How do we become, how do we help people become more more passionate yeah. more interested in things and 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 you know in in a day and age where the world seems a little deflated because of a lot of things that are happening yeah. you know, and that's always been the case but um man it's it like this particular generation of students that, that are are going to be world leaders at, at some point yeah. um you know they're they're they have they have a, a very big mental hurdle to to overcome mm-hmm. and part of that is 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 related to just like having confidence yeah you know and, and not in and, and like navigating a fear of failure mm. and and these kind these kinds of classes uh do that and, and this class the adventure media class in particular it just takes it to a whole new level i've, I've said it before in a in a in an interview that like the adventure media class is an incredibly humbling class for people that do well at things because not college, college students aren't, aren't, they're not pro cyclists. Right. You know, a lot of them haven't been on a bike since they were maybe in junior high. Yeah. And we've had three students in, in the past, like not know how to ride a bike at all. Oh my so, gosh. So they're learning. To ride so we're bike. like teaching people how to ride bikes. That. I mean, that's, you remember when you learned how to ride yeah. a bike? That was like the coolest thing you could do. You yeah. were a proud person, yeah. you know? And and these students have never had that. You know, hopefully they've had other things in their life where they got right. to feel that. But that's a fundamental thing, you know? And, and But also humbling too, yeah. like, oh gosh, I never learned to ride. Very that. humbling, yeah. But it's even humbling for, for the people that like are fairly athletic. And, oh, yeah. and we don't discriminate. Like there is no... There, all we want to know when we make the selection, because there's an interview process to get in, because mm-hmm. it's a sort of in-demand class, and and we can only take 15 students max, and and we 
but we do not discriminate on like athletic ability, yeah. body type or anything like that. All we want to know beyond like some of the professional things, academic things, what are you going to add to this experience is are you committed? Mm. That's it. And 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 if you're committed, then you're you're committing to being prepared. Uh, whatever this baseline of prep preparedness is when we go out on, on, on this big trip that puts people in some pretty, pretty crazy situations and, and, and they, they do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat watching that happen, you know, and then they, again, you know, they, they do this hard thing. They make something for it. That's portfolio driven for their professional career. It can propel things for them, but they do this thing that like before, you know, two months prior, they had no idea about nor right. knew that they had it in them to do it. And it, it, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's, that's really well, yeah, it's the, it's the life changing part. Like you can't do yeah. that and just walk away and not be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's always weird for them. I mean, like in, in, in us too, as, as the instructors after that week and anybody that's ever spent any amount of time in the back country uh, knows this like reintegration into oh, yeah. Big time. quote unquote normal life. And I don't like saying normal life because you can make that your normal life. Right. You know, yeah. going out for a hike, you can make that your normal life. You know, you just have to make it, right? Yeah. Um, but they, the, everybody has like this post trip depression mm. when they come back because they're like, man, we're not out there with this. We're not out there in this little suffer fest that we've got going on, but we're also not out there like doing it with other people. Yeah. You know, sharing in that that micro community that you create, yeah. this very intimate group um, that you become best friends with, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, they, they get, and they're like, man, that for some odd reason, like mm. doom scrolling on Instagram doesn't really mean that much to me anymore. Right. It's not like I, I, I realize like I'm, I'm kind of maybe wasting time a little bit in some mm. places and some arenas of my life. And it's that it, it becomes a very I mean, I, and I know for me, it, it's especially that. Like, I, I struggle, like, even reintegrating. And, yeah. And, you know, I'm fortunate to get to do this fairly often. Well, and even, you know, some I, – I can think of the kid that comes back that uh, was isolated before, mm -hmm. and they come back to knowing that may be the only circle of friends and influence that I have. And, yeah. you know, just they were yep. lonely before, and they're coming back to lonely and thinking – yeah. yeah. Now I got I got to go back to lonely, which yeah. may not yeah. probably isn't the case because they've created community now, and that's exactly that changes. Yeah. But your yeah. mindset sets in. Oh yeah, yeah. Of, you're and, and you. I bet I'm alone again. Totally, yeah. So so in 2022, when we took the the class to Ruidoso, there's this 100 mile backpacking route outside of Ruidoso, New Mexico, and we uh, our main storytelling focus was on the correlation between type two outdoor recreation and positive mental health or, or improved mental yeah. health. And there, th that documentary actually hasn't been pushed out yet, um, into the, the grander audiences. But, but, um, there's a point in there where one of the students is like, before this, I would be, I'd be hanging out in my room. I live with three other dudes, but I would just go straight to my room. I would, I would be lonely. Mm -hmm. Like that's my default. I, I didn't want to socialize. I would just go right to my room and I think over the course of that semester, particularly during the the big trip, he realized 
that that's what loneliness was. He might not have been able to identify it like that uh, himself. And he said, because of this class, like I now have the, a greater sense of belonging. And it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing his words, but but I've seen him after after that, and and uh, I I know that his personality characteristics around uh, community and, and being involved in things has ratcheted up. And he had to make that conscious decision after he got back yeah, to do another hard thing, which is break the cycle of what he was yep. used to, right? But he already did this other hard thing. And he was motivated by not the experience, but the people that he had this experience with to break that cycle. And that's pretty cool. You know, and 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 these those things matter a lot. We yeah. we we often, particularly for higher ed, and especially higher ed in Texas, maybe we're we're way more outcome focused mm-hmm. than we maybe should be. Yeah, because measurable outcomes matter. Right. Uh, when it comes to funding and things like that, but but like that's an outcome that we can't overlook, and and fortunately. Every alumni group I've ever presented this stuff to, because I'll, you know, I'll take this experience out on a little dog and pony show sometimes, um, if if it contributes to our college and our university. And every alumni group that I've been afraid would be like, why in the world would I want to support students going off and just riding bikes for a class? It's like underwater basket weaving. You know, in my mind, I'm just like, they're just gonna think this is underwater basket weaving. And every every single time I've ever met with a group of alum, presented it to large groups, small groups, doesn't matter, all over the planet at this point, they've all been like, "Man, I wish we'd have had something like that in school. I wish we'd have had something, you know." And because they were looking past the fact that it's bodies on bikes mm-hmm. doing this, what looks really cool because it it does look cool, you know. Uh, but they they're able to see because of their life experience post-college, they're able to see how an experience like that would have just played out in their life. Mm. And, and, and I, I, I really value that. And that's, you know, that's, that's why, like, I, I still wake up every morning thinking like, what do we do to, to make that thing happen? You know, so. So do we get a preview of where this semester, this next yeah. This spring? Yeah. So, well, in fact, it's, it's, I don't know when you're going to, Publish this, this podcast, will be recent. But, yeah, it'll be before then for sure. This semester, so this is fall 2023. Uh, this semester, we are actually taking a cohort of students to backpack the Guadalupe Ridge Trail in an effort to start creating materials for a book on the Guadalupe Ridge Trail in the Guadalupe Mountains National Park. And it goes into the Lincoln National Forest and back down yeah. into Carlsbad Cavern National Park. Um, it's a fairly unknown long hike, uh, backpacking route. Um, and we've always wanted to do something with backpacking as well. And we've, we've had some interest from people attached to Guadalupe Mountains National Park and the Guadalupe Ridge Trail. And so a, a colleague uh, of mine, Brian Gimza, and I, who have, he, he's been a big supporter of these field classes and, and, uh, uh, just, just, just in general of, of what these kinds of things do for students. Uh, he and I, w- whenever I was working with Brandon Weaver on a PBS doc about riding adventure motorcycles across Texas from the lowest point to the highest point, Whoa. he came out 
and hiked Guadalupe Peak with us. He's like, this is where we can do our class. And I'm like, totally agree. So this fall, we're, we're leading this group of students on two backpacking trips, one out in the White Mountain Wilderness outside of Ruidosa, New Mexico, as a shakedown uh, trip. And then a month later, we're going to be seven days on, on the Guadalupe Ridge Trail uh, with them backpacking. So whole other type of deal. So then fast forward to spring. We don't know yet. Oh, no? No, okay. yeah. Usually I didn't know we, how far you were here. Yeah, usually we have something in, in the works at, at this point. Um, but... Uh, um, a lot of life is happening, uh, and and so we're we're not quite sure yet. Uh, I, I had a pretty busy spring with Adventure Media. I teach I I now teach the class that Wyman Menzer taught that I, like was those was like the life changing moment for what me. A great full circle. And so I, I I teach that, and then right after that, I went and taught a, a study abroad in in Iceland with uh, Rob Peasley. And so um, after that, I kind of had to check out. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't like handle coming up with something new at that point and especially, you know, h- helping out with family and family business and stuff. So, um, that, uh, that's yet to be determined right now, but there's, there's, there's always about five things in the works. Yeah. I just oh, don't want to say anything right now cause yeah, I, we're not hundred percent sure on everything. So, well, so that, I mean, that kind of gets us to a little bit. I mean, we got to plug happy hiker a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, tell me real met. quick. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So give me a quick rundown on how that all went down. Yeah. And so, so I, I live with my family in, in Ruidosa, New Mexico, actually. So I, I, I split my time. I'm, I'm yep. in Texas half the week. I'm in, I'm in Ruidosa half the week. And we moved out there to, uh, uh, my wife, for my wife to help run a family business that ended up later selling. And we, uh, uh, back in March, uh, my wife, and I and her brother and sister-in-law um, partnered together with my wife's parents, and we bought uh, two outdoor retail stores called Happy Hiker. Uh, one of them's in Ruidosa, New Mexico. One of them's in Albuquerque. And uh, we have a history with Happy Hiker because my in-laws started Happy Hiker mm-hmm. in 2016, and then uh, they sold it. Uh, to start the other family business that that we went out to Rudosa to to help you know steward, and then after that sold, we were like, let's let's see if if there's interest in in happy hiker selling, and because we we it's very much in our our ethos. My my wife's a nurse. She she man, her story is like beyond incredible, and. Which I, I mean, she, you, you said that when yeah, we met, and I was yeah, like, okay, yeah, I know. we're going to have to. Yeah, uh, she's get definitely to that worth the conversation. But um, she had, had had gotten out of bedside nursing around pandemic time. She was in administration, um, helping develop a really valuable um, rural health preventative, rural medicine preventative health program. It, it, it's it's incredible. It's all telemedicine stuff. And then, and then uh, she went into nursing, uh, teaching nursing school, and then we just had this opportunity to, to go out to New Mexico, so we did that. And uh, I, I come in during the middle of the week, and yeah. I, I go back out there. So we, I, I'm still traveling a lot. I'm just not traveling as much on assignment as I used to. So yeah. I'm still balancing out the days and stuff. But, but um, we we decided, you know, hey, let's do let's do happy hiker. And, and so we, we got everybody together. We, we thought on it, we prayed on it, all this stuff. And, and, and like 
that's that's what we're doing now out there. And so my wife is 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 just running the show. I mean, she's so great. And 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 I, I mean, everybody is is a partner in it all. They're, everybody's contributing like amazingly to this process. And yeah. we're very fortunate that we have my in-laws to reference constantly uh, yeah. about these kinds of things. And so um anyways, yeah, that's what we're we're, we're doing and and uh, it fits our lifestyle. Like we we we're trail people. Like we we want more people to be out on the yeah, trails. You're not, we, you're not trying to fake it. No, right? no, absolutely you're not. Like we we live exactly what we're we're preaching in that store and what we're selling in that store and um you know, it, it, Rudos is a, a tourist town for sure, but it's an incredible place to be outside. It's 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 a it's really a I wouldn't call it a hidden gym, but it's it's not as a big a noted gym as some other places. But man, it's incredible. Well, You've been out of, there a well, lot. So I, you yeah, know. I, we've gone got, for years and years and years and years. And I I think the biggest part is a lot of people come in to Riodosa for the wrong reasons. And I think <laughs> you know, like really, I mean, you know, you you know the mountain gods or the racetrack and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You're missing this whole other piece. That yeah, totally. I find. Yeah, yeah, is totally the, is the best part it, of Riodosa. It's a um, it Ruidos has always been a place. I'm reading up on the history of Ruidoso right now. It's always been a place that is um, has been the getaway, you know, for people that needed needed cooler temperatures. I mean, all the way back late 1800s, early 1900s, like people just went to Ruidoso because it was cooler. It was nice during the summer and stuff. Um, and you know, obviously, it's it's built up to where where it is the racetrack right. and the mountain gods um and, and there's all sorts of things to to, to do in Rudo so for anyone looking for a vacation mm-hmm. but it, yeah I, I think I think the the trails and the amount of outside time that you can spend in some a really incredible place is is yeah is over, not overlooked but maybe undervalued but they're it's changing like people are coming there to to, to get there, do some backpacking, to, and 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 I I think it's just the greatest starter market for people that are wanting to get their families outside. It it's not at the elevation that the San Juan Mountains are on the Colorado Trail, right? Which that's still to this day kind of the hardest thing I've ever done on a bike, let alone hiking somewhere. Um, it, it's 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 not an extreme place, but it's got everything you'd ever want as mm-hmm. as an out. Yeah. This person, somebody that's tied to the outdoors and wants to get something out of being in 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 that environment. Yeah, and I mean, and if you so, want, yeah, you want some hard stuff to do. There's it's some there. hard stuff to it's do. It's there. Yeah, for you sure. You want an easy afternoon hike with mm-hmm. your family to see some really cool country. Yeah, it's all there. Yeah, too. you want to like provide the stoke for your for your kids. Yeah, go to Rodoso, hit the trails. Come by, come by our shop. We'll tell you. Yes, I mean, I don't want to plug Happy Hiker too much, but I mean, it's no, like I do. Come by our shop. We will tell you where to go, and shoot, we may even go with you. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's the kind of like it was attitude, it, it was the DNA we want, of, you know? of them starting that place. So you just felt yeah. it when you walked in. Yeah, yeah, because you knew. Yeah, Happy Hiker, like OG Happy Hiker, OG, and and that was they they brought that to, to and it was Rodeso. infectious. You walk in, you're Super, like, well, yeah. I guess I'm gonna go hiking today because yes, they're yeah. pushing yeah. this on me. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It and was so good. And we we want to do the exact same thing. And I can't tell you, like I, I get to work in the store, you know, once a weekend and then and then during the summer, uh especially all of July and we we probably met in June or early July. Yeah. yeah. Um I mean I I I can talk to anybody. I I'm a little long winded I think sometimes, but 
I, I and I get that from my, my mom and my mom's family and, and but it's out of genuine interest in like what's yeah. your experience gonna be like here? Right. And how can I help you make that better? If that means I need to sell you a pair of shoes, then I'm gonna sell you a pair of shoes. But by and large that means like how can we help you do this thing that's outdoors Rio Dosa or whatever. Right. Or, or or the Sandia Mountains in Albuquerque. You know, what what or how do how do we help you uh, create a more active outdoor life for yourself? Or how do we help you travel more easily so that so the experience stays at the forefront as opposed to I don't know being concerned with the the, the accoutrement that comes along you know right. that you're taking with you all yeah. the other yeah yeah so I don't want to miss anything I feel like yeah. we've gone <laughs> all over the world on this thing um, anything I'm missing as far as like what Jared does. Oh man. Are you yeah, filmmaking too? Are you making films? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in, I'm in towards the latter end of production on a film about lesser prairie chickens and endangered species of grouse that are okay. out here in the South Plains. And uh, I've got a long history with prairie chickens and, and uh, editorial history with them. And so I, a couple of years ago, I got a grant to, to shoot a documentary on lesser prey chickens and in, in the South Plains ecosystem out here, and then I've got a I've got a huge documentary project that's uh, you know kicked off for sure. Um, it's called the Great Plains Project, and so I, I've I've got a project where I am cycling on rural roads, mostly dirt and gravel roads, from the Mexico Texas border all the way up to uh, Calgary, Alberta. And it goes through the Great Plains. I I'm infatuated. I live in the mountains, but I, I I'm infatuated with the Great Plains because I've I've obviously made my living on the on the Great Plains. I've done a lot of photography work on the Great Plains, but I never really quite had a good grasp of it. And and so several years ago, my brother and I designed a route that goes from border to border or a little bit beyond. And it goes through the Great Plains. And and it and it connects these incredible uh, rural road routes all the way through Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, and then in the Colorado, Canada. And uh, I've ridden I've ridden altogether about half of it on a bike. Last summer, uh, Doc, uh, Rob Peasley and I we normally do a study abroad together. We actually took a cohort of students out. And created a class around it called the Great Plains Project, where they filmed me riding 900 miles from um, Oh my gosh, that Stillwater, so Oklahoma, awesome. to Pixton, South Dakota. Yeah, and they they lived the crew life like a documentary crew. It, it was it was incredible, incredible experience for for all of us involved. And so yeah, and that, that stuff should be out sometime soon. Yeah, Whoa. you know when you get involved in a lot of these things, but you also have to like do your day job. And and uh, and and you know do all the the side gigs and stuff like that. Sometimes the pr- post production of these things gets put on back burner. But well, we're gonna, and we're going to push it out pretty soon. You're also an intentional dad and an intentional husband. You know, yeah. husband too. So you're yeah. throwing all that. It's not like you're leaving all that on a back burner. It, it, exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, that that's the thing. You know, all this talk about, uh, you know, my career. But I mean, my career is only only there because you know my my family allows that to right to happen, but I, I, I do, you know, there are certain things about a career that I, I feel are necessary to sacrifice because I want to maintain, you know, my, my, my presence for sure. But yep. like, 
maintaining a presence might just be like, I'm just around, but you know, you want to be a dad, yeah. like you want to be a husband. And, and that's, uh, those are incredibly valuable things that, um, uh, you know, we're not talking as much about, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's what it's, that's the foundation, that's the of heart all, of it yeah, all. Yeah. Right. right there. And so, you know, there's, I've always, I've, and I've said it a couple of times now, I mean, like there's none of this would ever happen, uh, if, if, if I didn't have the partner I have in Amanda and, and truthfully, like a lot of this that I do now, particularly the, the outdoor travel and the, and the conservation stuff that's rooted in a, in a sincere desire for my kids to actually pick up on that stuff mm-hmm. too. Cause you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not yet 40, I'll, I'll be 40 soon, but like, I don't think in my twenties I was thinking like, well, what kind of world does my, do my kids get to take yeah. over? But man, the older I get, and you you probably can yeah. resonate with this. Yeah. You're like, what kind of world am I leaving to to the kids? And you know, I don't get political, and 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 I I, I don't jump into contentious topics. But but the 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 management of our natural world is one of the most important things yeah. out there. And if if all I can do with my kids, and however that translates also to the experiences I get to create, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate to be able to create for students. If that is simply creating a space where they get to have a, a heightened engagement with the natural world, I'm good. Yeah. You know, and, and so a lot of that, the editorial work is like rooted in like, what am I doing to help leave them a better place while also making them see how to appreciate it? Right. Yeah. Such a great two edged sword. Yeah. For you to wield. You Hopefully. Know? <laughs> you well, know, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it just is. I mean, yeah. your body of work is, is pretty extensive at yeah. this point mm-hmm. and your passion for it all. They can't yeah. help but see what daddy does and yeah. all the places he's going, where he yeah. takes us and yeah. what he shows us. Yeah. Yeah. But you're also out there educating yeah. folks and, and, um, yeah, I, number one, I'm just glad that you stopped me because of my shirt that day. <laughs> what shirt were you wearing? It was I a it was a worship workshop shirt, and you were like, "Oh, tell me about that, that shirt." That's right, yeah, because it was a coyote playing a guitar. That, that's right, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, we and, and probably I think it was maybe is either earlier that day or later that day we had another group of people come in, and they were student missionaries. They were, um, they were, um, I don't know what they were doing. They oh, they they were made up. Uh, there, there were three guys, and they were members of three different indigenous nations uh, in, in, in the United States. And they they belonged to an organization. I wish I could remember what it was, but they were basically uh, being missionaries for this one organization that sends them all over the nation to to you know to preach and and, and to to talk to people about Christ. You know and, and in at, at different uh, at, at, at different reservations and, and you know tribal communities and stuff. So yeah, it was it was it was pretty incredible. So I I think I was probably more primed to like talk to you about that shirt just because oh, uh, of of what was happening in town that that week and, and uh, yeah. So it's not the yeah. it's not the same thing. Yeah, but you know I think our conversation. I mean it was it was it was pretty interesting. You know, learning about what you do right. And then we talked a little bit about our, our story there at the store and, and stuff. And, and yeah, I think that was a really cool, uh, you know, oh yeah, way to center, you know, conversation and, right. and interests. Well, it so. was definitely, I walked away, I was immediately told my wife, because, you know, my wife will say that I'm pretty long-winded too <laughs> on some things, especially when I 
start talking to somebody about their story. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. she'll be like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, that's also how I got to go visit your father-in-law's house when they were building it. She was like, right. that's that's not necessarily okay. And I'm like, I didn't invite myself. <laughs> they were asking yeah, me to come. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're genuine and, you know, I, I this sounds odd because I'm the one on the interviewee side of this. Right. But when you are genuinely interested in, in other people's stories. Right. Um, and you're not interested in in like being able to answer everything with, with a well I mm. you know because I think we all have a yeah we sometimes have problems with that there's and, a and, tendency and for that for we sure. have a tendency yeah um then you are going to have those experiences a a you know listening is is better than talking right right and, um but uh there, there's just something magical that can happen if you just kind of leave leave it open to having conversations. And then that goes with a lot of things in life. Absolutely. It's not just conversations with people, but that's, you know, uh, conversations with, 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 with your family, with, with God. I mean, you, you put that space in there and neat things happen. Yep. You know, I'm not a psychologist or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm barely a sociologist, but I mean, I don't have the terms to describe that, but it's something interesting. Like you just let that, let that in a little bit. We'll pull that yeah. full circle all the way around, and get, yeah. it's a good place to land at the end. But yeah. I think that's the reason getting outdoors is so meaningful because it does create a space, especially if you can go by yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. And totally. leaving that space because then you do some self-work in that mm-hmm. space that you wouldn't have done when you're on your phone or every, yeah. all these distractions going around and everything's whatever. Yeah. yeah, And get out on a trail and hike with your family or get out and just – be by yourself in nature. Yeah, that's when this space opens up that we're talking about. And for sure, yeah, things happen. Things happen. Yeah, you you obviously you learn about yourself. Um, you 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 learn about people that you're with. Yeah, there's just something incredibly. I don't know. Uh, v- vulnerable is not the right. May maybe the right term in some ways. Like you 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 become more vulnerable in those yeah. spaces, but mainly because like in some ways you kick in this survivor instinct yeah, uh, or survival instinct that, that it, it lets you come face to face with, you know, some concerns yeah, uh, and, or lets you um, become, uh, allows you to open up to the people you're with because you need to gain their trust and they need to gain your trust, you know, and that's very kind of, primal thing in some ways but that's right but it's also just like being out and, and we were talking about this earlier before we started recording like it's just being out there in a in a place that like scientifically we can understand but we can't fully fathom yeah. creation and 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 man that's that's something to to like reflect on but it's also like something re- really really neat and and, and 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 interesting to i don't know to, to have wash over you yeah in some ways and you can call it whatever you want to call it you know right. we're talking about like these students in these classes like you know whether or not that they're religious or, or spiritual in any degree like they're going to have something happen to them yeah when they're in that space and and uh yeah it's there's, there's just something really cool about it and it's worth and and it doesn't necessarily have to be on a trail in the White Mountain Wilderness near Ruidos, New Mexico. It could be walking outside in a park. Yeah. It could be tending cattle at a yeah. ranch. 
it, it, it could be worrying about the next rain that's going to hit your cotton crop mm. out here in, in, in the South Plains. All are very different situations, but they're all tied to something, you know, and, it, and it's, it's just being out. It's being in that space. And coming face to face, I feel like with more of your true authentic self than the thing that you oh yeah waller around in every day. Exactly. I mean, there's there's something to be said for for disconnecting. And we, I, I, I when I post to to Instagram because that's where I spend most of my time on, on social media. But when I post most of my posts, I hashtag fight nature deficit disorder. And I mean, it could be a, a picture of, I don't know, a, a, a tractor, or it could be a picture of, of, of a, you know, a 14er in Colorado, whatever. Um, there, there was a book years ago called Last Child in the Woods, rich, written by Richard Louv. And, and, and he basically was saying, look, there's this thing called nature deficit disorder. And at the time, you know, it wasn't a very acknowledged thing, but he goes, it's not necessarily a, a, um, a, a disease or a, a deficiency acknowledged by the medical association, but he goes, but it's a thing, <laughs> you know, nature deficit disorder. What, what have we done by creating uh, structural environments that, that, that keep us inside and keep us away from these things that we kind of hold up as like romantic ideals of like running through the neighborhoods and, and, you know, going down to the Creek with your BB guns and stuff like that. Those functional things aren't aren't all that important. It's just that like we are creating a society that's structured not around nature or our engagement with it, but rather one that is constantly taking us away from it. And whenever you either force yourself into a position that helps you fight nature deficit disorder or, or you just simply know the value of it in your life, um, or you know, being able to, to be, you know, you call it forest bathing. I don't care what you call it. There's just something good about it. And, uh, and that, and that's, that's why I'm, I've, uh, I'm so focused on, 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 you know, everything that I've been able to do, fortunately, as a, as a career up to this point, Mm. um, is, uh, is rooted in, what Richard Louvre articulated as nature yeah. deficit disorder or fighting nature deficit disorder. Uh, I was very fortunate to grow up the way I grew up out on a ranch, all That's that kind right. of stuff. Yep. And I don't, I don't, I don't regret or look back on any of that and be like, man, that sucked. Cause it yeah. didn't. Right. There were parts of it that sucked at them in the moment. Like I hate hauling cantaloupes. I hate harvesting cantaloupes. I hate harvesting watermelons. I'm a little guy. I don't, I'm not strong. Can you eat a cantaloupe today? I, I can eat. Yeah. I oh can, yeah. I can, can definitely. You? Yeah. Yeah. I can't, you know, I, I, uh, I've, I've worked, I've helped work a lot of cattle, you know, not as much as some of my other cousins. Cause I've, I've been away from the ranch a lot longer than them, but, but like, I, I, I just, it, yeah. Har- harvesting cantaloupes. That may have been the worst job I've ever had, but, um, even though that sucked in the moment, golly, I still got to watch the sunrise. Yeah, I still I still got to like smell petrichor. I still got to smell the earth. Yeah, you know, uh, and 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 there's just something really cool about that. That like I want to make sure is present in my life personally, but in those yeah. lives around me too. So that's so good. Yeah. I appreciate this. Yeah, well, thanks for We've, letting me ramble. Yeah, well, it's, it's been, been good. It's, yeah, it's been really, really. Well, I'm, good. I'm glad we could start this friendship. It's yeah. been awesome. Yeah, yeah it's this really is cool. just. I felt like I was yeah. hounding you a lot to get this no, thing. Like, no, man, not I at just, all. I really not want. 
Yeah. You'd be able to share. And now oh, Amanda, I mean, we yeah. just got to set yeah, up the next thing. Yeah, you got to for... talk to Amanda. I mean, you know, she she is a she's the perfect example of somebody that is like, "You know what? My story is what my story is, but how do we how do we help you? How do we mm. how do we how do we make sure that you have a, a good life?" That kind of thing. She's yeah, she's incredible. I mean, there's just I, I would tear up if I just if I started thinking about all the words I could describe yeah. her her with, but um, yeah, her her story is is incredible, and who she, who she is as a person, yeah, just you know, go yeah. look at like the happy, you know, her birthday was the other day, and I posted something on Instagram. Just go look at like the comments left, and like just the simple words that people use to describe her. It's yeah. it's pretty neat. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I, I read through them. So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll make that happen too because I'd I'd love to cool. Yeah, just yeah. Just well, I, I I appreciate you digging all wanting that, to so. wanting to visit about this. And, appreciate you know, it. I'm, I'm I'm honored to be uh, among your your group of, of interviewees. Yeah. Now we, we just got to get you, you know, and Chet together. Well, and you know what's kind of funny is the the not the last episode you you published, but the one on uh, Nathan Dahlstrom. Yes. Uh, well, so I, I was headed to church. I don't that know if morning. you know him or not. Well, I, it's okay. kind of funny. I, I was I, I can't remember what it was. Oh, um, I was headed to church one morning. Because I get there earlier to help help the the, the praise team get yep. situated. Sometimes I'll I'll play guitar with them, um, but I, I started listening to that to that episode, and I'm like, "Oh, I know Nathan. Like I, I met Nathan oh, a long time ago. Man. Now the, I don't, I don't know him very well. Like right. we really just met one time, but we met at a Ranching Heritage Center event." He was sitting in front of me. I was just getting into books. I think he was just getting into books. And so that's all we kind of talked about was like authoring books and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, but I just like, I, I know this guy. This was years and years back. And then I saw that you had done an interview with him. I listened to it and I thought it was great. And, and, and I just remembered him being exactly like he was in the interview. That later that day, we went on a hike with, um, our uh, w- one of our our ministers at the church, who who is basically over the the praise and worship, yeah, you know, area of of of, of church. He and his wife went on a, a hike with us, and he was telling me about working with a, a an organization that uh, you know mission focused organization. He says it was something like. I don't know, Whitestone or Whetstone. I'm like, what? dude, I was just listening to a podcast with Nathan uh, this morning on the way to church, you know, uh, and, and it was so full. And so, so the, the, the minister, Rob Duncan, he, he has a connection to, to Whetstone. Uh, and, and I don't know if he ever, well, he knew who Nathan was. And I, I imagine, I think he did know Nathan yeah, or does know Nathan, but it was just so coincidental. That, that that day was Man. pretty incredible. Like the start of it and the end of it, I'm like, wow, you know. And, and it well, number one, I don't had to do with your I, podcast. I, yeah, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. In coincidences, <laughs> yeah, everything's these little divine appointments. Yeah, but even as we've been sitting here, so Nathan, if you're listening to this one, shout out, and you need to meet Jared. Like y'all's, so much of your spirits are so much alike. Like there's yeah. just this simplicity yeah. and yeah. this call. Yeah to the outdoors, this call to nature, this, t- this call to agriculture at a fundamental level, Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and like you talking about, you know, bike riding across the Great Plains, like I can hear Nathan go, I'd love to get a horse. 
And yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so yeah. there's so much about yeah. y'all that remind yeah. me. Oh, that's cool. I'm honored to hear that. Yeah. 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 Awesome well, he, I've always looked up to him in, in his career. And, and um, you know, I, uh, I I know my middle kid has read one or two of his books, yeah. actually. Gosh, um, so and, and yeah, I was just like, yeah, we, we need to have more of, of Nathan Dahlstrom books in our in our. Because I mean, he's uh, just right here. He's right in your yeah, and he's right down the road. Yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, yeah, what a what a it, I mean, you could technically call it a coincidence, but I mean, it was just a really nice. Just I like how you, you put together. Uh, identified divine uh, divine Appoint, appointment. Appointments. Yeah, 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 that's cool. That's cool. I like it. Anyway, I like it. Yeah. So another shout out, Nathan. You owe me. For that <laughs> um, so anyway, thank yeah. you, Jared. I appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. Man. I appreciate it, man. All right.